We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. If you're watching with us, I guess you're still all right. But uh, man, it's good. It's good. It's good to be with you guys. If you're new, welcome. And I just hope and pray uh, that you receive stories like Reagan's and that it does in your heart what it's supposed to do. You know, it, it, it should be, it should just well up inside of you that what God is doing here, he is changing lives in real time. And I'm praying that it just inspires you to keep serving, to keep giving, to keep doing everything we have to do to make this church happen. And so I, I actually had someone last week, I was in the, uh, the auditorium before service, and I was talking with a guy and he said, hey, how do, how do I give you guys money? Because this is awesome. And I was like, but like you, you guys don't pass an offering plate. Like if you've been in church for, we don't do like the whole like offering time where we, where we pressure you and guilt you into giving. So um, we don't do that. We got wall boxes in the back of the room that you can use. Uh, but man, 90% of us here just use uh, online. Go to peakcityco.com. You can give online there. That's what my wife and I do. Uh, we set aside a percentage of our income every month to give back to the local church. And when I see stories like Reagan's, and I'm telling you, I got them lined up for y'all. We ain't going to have a Sunday the rest of the year without you hearing somebody up here sharing their story of life change. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but, man, I'm praying that it compels you to keep going because what we're building is worth it. It's worth it. All right, y'all ready to get after it? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Get a Bible, get to Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Uh, we are in this little two-week or three-week teaching series called The Problem with Money. This came as an overflow of our last series on family and parenting where the, 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 the most frequent thing we heard is that the uh, main issue that everybody's working through is money, right? So there are, there are problems that come with money. And uh, last week we started this thing off and it was super harsh and it was super mean and uh, I wish that I could tell you today was going to be different, <laughs> but it's not. Okay, last week um, I told you all that money, the problem with it is that it's mostly a curse, right? That if you're not careful, money can curse your family, it can curse your marriage, it can curse your mental health, it can curse your decision making, it, it, it can even curse your faith. Your relationship with God can be negatively impacted if you don't figure out this relationship with money. And, and I know some of y'all, I could see it on your eyes last week. Some of y'all had eyes as big as saucers last week. I actually had a couple people who came to me and said like, man, you're being really, really like harsh and strong and all this. Like, is it that big of a deal? You know? And I get it though. I get it. <clears throat> because like as a dad, I find myself saying things all the time that really aren't that big of a deal. Okay, um, my, my kids, in fact, like right now, my kids, the most frequent phrase I hear from my 12-year-old son is, dad is not that big of a deal, chill out. Right, like my 12-year-old my, my son tried to walk outside the other day, and he had on shorts and a t-shirt, and it's cold. I said, boy, you're going to freeze, you got to put some clothes on. And he said, he, he said, dad, my legs are immune to the cold. I said, you're stupid. <laughs> That's just not even smart. That's not a thing, Right. I'm like, get your clothes on. Like, I'm saying the things my parents used to say. You're going to catch a cold if you don't bundle up. But, like, come on. It's like, really, it's not that big of a deal. You know, like, if it's cold and he's, he starts getting cold, he's just going to come back inside and put some clothes on. It's not that big of a deal. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I keep harping on my boys to turn the lights off in the basement when they come upstairs because, and this is such a dad thing to say, you running up my electricity bill. When really it's like that light being on for an hour is costing me a nickel. <laughs> it ain't that big of a deal, right? It's not that big of a deal. Like God, God's word is so specific and it's so direct and it's so harsh when it comes to money. Is it, is it really that big of a deal? And I think what I want you to see today is that God is a dad to you. 
God is your heavenly father. And uh, God is, uh, in, in his instructions that we receive today on money, uh, it is not God making a big deal about nothing. Uh, this is not a dad who's trying to save a few pennies on his electricity bill. This is not a dad who's trying to make sure you don't catch a cold. What you're going to see today is that this is God, your heavenly father, trying to protect you as if you were a child stepping out into oncoming traffic. It's a big deal. All right, that's why the title of my message for you this week is another real optimistic, positive, hope-filled title. The problem with money is that it's more of a threat. It's more of a threat than you understand. It's, it's more of a threat to your soul and to your faith than you realize. And I believe God wants to wake you up today to the real and present threat, the real and present danger that money has in your life. And I think he wants to offer you a way out. All right. The, the, the problem with money is it's more of a threat. Peak City, you ready to do this? Oh, man, I'm telling you, I'm so pumped. Uh, before I jump into the, the, the passage, um, you do need to know. Um, to, so last weekend, uh, we preached uh, the, the first message on money. And it was about money. It was about money. Like, the whole thing was about money. It was about, like, money. And we had people given, we had over 15 people gave their lives to Jesus for the very first time. We had in the back of this room, in first service, back in the, this corner back here, there was a whole family. All their eyes closed. A mom, a dad, and two kids all raised their hand and gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. Second service, same thing happened on this side of the room. There was a whole family, a mom, a dad, and two teenagers. All four gave their lives to Jesus. When we talk about money, God is doing something. It happened last service. Last service, they the real homies. They the real people who came out in the cold snow at 9 a.m. and fought through it. And we still had three people give their lives to Jesus last service. When we talk about money. I don't say that to brag about anything we're doing. God is speaking to people. And if you will open your heart and open your mind and receive, God wants to do something really special in your life through this passage we read together today. So let us lean in. Matthew chapter 6, we are in verse 19, all right? And Jesus starts off, these are the words of Jesus, and he starts off with, with some wisdom that we can all get behind. It don't matter if you're an atheist, if you're agnostic, if you're Muslim, if you're Buddhist, if you're Christian, if you've been in church one day or all your life, we can all agree with what he says in verse 19 through 21. <clears throat> through 21. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this wisdom, this passage right here, um, everyone agrees with. There's not a soul in here, there's not anybody watching online that would, that would disagree with this wisdom. We should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We should, we should focus on spending our time, our energy, and our resources on things that will stand the test of time, right? If we, if we focus on material possessions, we know it's not going to make us happy for very long. We've all got our stories of things we bought that we thought would make us happy, and a month later, we did not care about Right, my, my, my son, um, he uh, three months ago bought a boxing bag, big boxing kit. He wanted to become a boxer. And he's like 
12 short and scrawny. He ain't a boxer yet. He ain't got the body for that yet. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Let's, let's get you this boxing bag. He saves up his money, buys this boxing bag, and he's punching it. And he says, Dad, um, will you punch me in the arm one time just so I can know what it feels like to take a punch? I said, I said you want to be a boxer, but you ain't taking a punch yet. You don't know. I said, well, I'm not going to hit you. No, I'm not. that's child abuse. I ain't doing that. He goes, no, just put the boxing glove on and give me like a 50% punch in the arm. I was like, all right, boy, we're going to do this. So I just gave him a real quick little pop right in the arm. Immediately, he was like, I'm done with boxing. I'm out. I'm out. This is, this is for savages. I, I'm out. We know, right, if you focus on possessions, if you focus on worldly things, if you focus, like, it ain't going to make you happy. Stuff will never make you happy. This is common knowledge and common wisdom. In fact, just recently, um, I, I, I read a book. It was a, it was a personal finance book. It wasn't written by a Christian. It wasn't written by, you know, someone who goes to church or anything like that. It was, but, but the book, to me, eerily matched up with the wisdom of Jesus. It was called Die With Zero. All right, if you've ever read Die With Zero, it's a fascinating take on personal finance where he says that you should, your goal in life should be to die with no money. That the last check you write should bounce because you have spent everything you have to try and live life to the full. And he has this chart. Go ahead and put that graph up there. I thought this was so fascinating. The, the, the thing that led him to this conclusion is that he knows that in your, in your early stages, you have, you know, you're working and you're trying to build wealth. And as you get older, you're able to build more wealth. You get to the top of your career and all that. The problem is most of us, we spend all of our lives just saving and hoarding and preparing for retirement and preparing to pass on something to our kids. But what happens is we think retirement's going to be awesome, but our health starts to decline, right? And so we have money, but yet we don't have the ability to enjoy the money that we have earned. And so what he says is what you should do is you should try to find the sweet spot where you have resources and the ability to enjoy life. You should, and, and, and in that season, you should actually spend more. You should actually focus on things that matter, relationships, experiences, building memories with the people that you're actually going to care about when this life is over. See, you should, you should look to die with zero. When I saw this chart, I thought, has he read Matthew chapter 6? Because it sounds like somebody that isn't laying up treasures for themselves on earth, but is focused on something that will stand the test of time. This sounds like the wisdom of Jesus in play in, a, in personal finances. I thought, man, this is fascinating because we all agree with this. None of us in here would say, you should focus on stuff. It'll make you happy. Nobody. You don't have to be a Christian to believe this. This is common wisdom because we know that when it comes to money, your relationship with money, it's really all about how you see it. Right? It's all about your perspective on money, which is exactly what Jesus says next. Look with me in verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's, it's all about how you see it. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He basically says, with money, it's all about how you see it. And if you don't see money the right way, it's going to flood your life with darkness. If you see it the right way, you're going to be blessed. It's all about how you see it. Everyone up to this point is on the same page. Everyone up to this point is like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we with you, we with you, we with you. We all get it. We're all in this boat together. It's all about how you see it. Stuff can't make you happy. It's all good. We're there, Jesus. Let's move on. But then he drops in the next verse, the hammer. In the next verse, he says, yeah, yeah, it's all about how you see it, but you ain't seeing it right. You think you're seeing it right, but Jesus says, no, 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 let me wake you up to the reality of what this thing, money, 
really is in the next verse. He says, no one can serve two masters. Oh, let, let this passage speak to the 21st century Western American financially driven heart that we all have. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me say it again to you. I want it to settle in because this verse does not sit well with any of us, myself included. This verse does not sit well with the American dream. This is, this is hard. We'll receive it again. In Matthew 6, uh, 6 in, in this passage, it says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two what? Masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all about how you see it, but you ain't seeing it right. You ain't seeing it right. You see, when, when we see money, when we see money, we see it as a pesky little brother. It's a pesky little sibling that's annoying and you got to deal with it because they're part of the family. But sometimes, you know, when you got a pesky little sibling, you got to put them in place. Right, like my, my 12-year-old, he got a 9-year-old little brother who can sometimes be a little pesky. And sometimes my 12-year-old son will have to put little brother in place. Right, I'll see him kind of exert some physical dominance on his little brother, and he'll kind of put him in place because he's getting annoying, right? But what, what, what my older son doesn't know is that my middle child, Solomon, he built like a brick. And, and he got a high pain threshold, and he got a few screws loose. <laughs> All right, there's going to come a day when little brother going to put big brother on his butt, <laughs> And he ain't ready for that. <laughs> we see money as this pesky little sibling that you got you to gotta put it into place, right? It's like, oh, man, like sometimes it's just annoying. A bill pops up or financial trouble hits or you're, you're up worried thinking about the future. And you go, man, I just got to like, I got to put little brother in his place. It's just annoying. But you still love him, right? You still love him. You still want to be part of the family. You certainly don't want to lose him. You certainly don't want to do life without him. It's just a, it's a pesky little sibling. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is where you need to wake up. Because he says money is not a pesky little sibling. He says no one can serve to what? He says money is a master. Money ain't a pesky little annoying thing. Money's a master. Money's a lord. Money's a leader. Money's a lowercase g god. Money is a master. And he says, you've got to figure out what to do with this master in your life. And I wish y'all, oh my gosh, this would be, this would be such a, an easier, more fun and pleasing to the ear message to preach. If I could just like avoid this. The problem is if I avoid this, I have to avoid the rest of the New Testament. Because every verse you freaking read about money, it sounds like this. I know it sounds harsh. I know it's difficult, but come on, just take a casual survey of Scripture. Just a casual survey and see the tone and tenor of the New Testament towards money. Uh, Mark chapter 10, Jesus looks around and says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone 
who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus says, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. Luke chapter 12, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Luke chapter 12 again, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. The author of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. First Timothy 6 says, command those who are rich in this present world. Command them. Don't suggest. Command those who are rich to not be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I can't avoid it. <laughs> if I didn't preach on this one, I'd have to preach on another one. And they're all the same tone. They're all the same tenor. It's more of a threat than we're willing to admit. And I see it. As a pastor, I see it. And this is, this is the great perspective that I feel like uh, pastors have been sharing for years. Because, you know, for me, I get to see the spiritual condition of like a whole church. And I get to see what people struggle with and what really causes people to grow and prevents people from growing. And it's not just me. I mean, Jesus said this because he was pastoring people. And he saw the problem with money. He saw it was threatening to them. Every pastor throughout history has seen that money hurts spiritual growth. Money has the capacity to really hurt your soul I mean, when you go, this, this quote, I found this quote from the third century, a, 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 a bishop named Cyprian. He was pastoring a church. And of his congregation, he saw the effects of money on their souls. And I want you to listen to this <clears throat> quote from him. He says, their property held them in chains. Chains which shackled their courage and choked their faith and hampered their judgment and throttled their souls. If they stored up their treasure in heaven, they wouldn't now have an enemy and a thief within their own household. They think of themselves as owners, whereas it is they, rather, who are owned, enslaved as they are to their own property. They are not the masters of their money, but it's slaves. I, I can't get away from it. I've seen it. I mean, come on, this is why for the past hundred years, you've heard preachers pull out their wallet and say, you know, when people get baptized, they, they hold their wallet out of the water when they go down. The last thing people will give is their money because it's the thing they hold. Every pastor in every context has seen it over and over and over. It's more of a threat than you understand. It's more of a threat. And I believe God wants to set you free from it. I believe God wants so much more for your life. I believe God loves you. He's like a loving dad who loves you too much. You know, like a good dad doesn't watch his children make decisions that are going to ruin their lives without stepping in. That, that's why he's being so harsh here is because he just, he loves you so much and he knows more than anything that what you need to do with money, what you need to do with this complicated thing, this complicated relationship, this toxic relationship, this lover's quarrel that you got going on with money, he knows that you need to do with it the same thing you need to do with any complicated relationship and that is that you need to DTR that thing. You need to, anybody know? Define the relationship. Oh, we're about to talk dating lingo here. Anytime you got a complicated relationship, you got DTR that thing. You got to define the relationship. You got to figure out what is this thing we got going on. I love, I love leading a church full of, full of young people like we have at Peak City. And, and it inevitably means that we've always got some people coming and asking for dating advice and what should I do in this situation. And, and every three or four months we'll have some young woman in the church come up to Brittany and I and say, I'm dating this guy and he seems great. and We've been together for a few years, 
But man, he, he never talks about a ring. He never talks about engagement. He never talks about, you know, commitment or children or future. But like, so what do I do? You got to DTR that thing. You got to find the relationship. Side note, if you're dating somebody for more than a few years, girls, if you're dating a guy for more than a few years and you in your mid-20s and beyond and he ain't talking future, he's playing you. Y'all don't want to hear that, do you? You got to DTR that thing. You got to find the relationship, but you can't do it too quick. All right, this has nothing to do with money. It's about dating. Don't do it too quick because the other thing, the other thing I feel like we need, to, we need to say very clearly is like, girls and guys, you don't need to DTR that thing on the first night. All right, like you at Baskin Robbins, he's trying to pick one of 31 flavors. You ain't got to ask him about kids yet. Just give it some time, give some room. All right. But with you and money, you've had plenty of time. It's, it's been long overdue, this complicated, toxic relationship that you've got with money. And God wants you to define the relationship. He says money's a master and you have to choose who you will serve. Will money serve your God or will God serve your money? You got to make a choice. You've got to define the relationship. And so for the rest of our time, I just want to get really practical with you. And I want to help you have that DTR moment. All right. I want you to define the relationship. And for some of you, you're young and you're just getting started building your financial world. I want to save you decades worth of pain and money and mistakes. But some of y'all are older and you've already dug a hole. I want to help you climb out of it. I want to DTR this thing for you. Okay. Define the relationship. And so I want you to write down, there's two questions I'm going to have you write down today. I'm going to give you a homework assignment at the end of this. Okay. I know you ain't in school right now, but at church, you're getting homework today. Okay. I want to help you define the relationship. I want to help you understand whether or not money is your master or God is your master. Okay, two questions. The first one is this. If money is your master, you'll ask, what kind of life can I afford? This is the dead giveaway. If money is your master, you will always be asking, what kind of life can I afford? This question is so deeply burned into the heart of America. It's the name of the game. Everything today is about debt affordability. Can you afford it? Well, in the American mind, the answer is if you can, then buy it. What, what kind of car can you afford? What, what kind of house can you afford? What kind of uh, uh, stores can you afford to shop at? What kind of restaurants can your family go out to eat at? What kind of trips can you take? It's, it's all about what you can afford. And here's the deal. America is printing money off this question. Pe businesses are printing money off of, you and, off of you living your life and making your financial decisions by this question. What kind of life can you afford? Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. I'm trying to set some of you free today. Here's the problem. When you live your life by what kind of life can I afford, you are always pushing yourself up to the limits of your finances. You're always living at the edge of what you can afford. If it's always about what you can afford, you're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And that has some ramifications on your soul. All right. I, th this, has some, this has some things that we got to talk about that come with it. Because if you constantly live up to the edge of your financial means, if you're constantly maxing out the credit card, I mean, heck, some of us are buying stuff that we can't afford, and we're saying this super toxic phrase, you know you're in a bad relationship with money. When you sign up for something and you go, I'll figure it out. Oh, we'll figure it out. I don't know. Let's go make more money. 
See, when you live, when you live right there, when you're right at the edge of what you can afford and you're like right there, it has such impact on your soul because what it does is it causes stress and anxiety in your life because you have to keep performing. You have to keep grinding in order to afford the choices you have made. And so, yeah, you might enjoy some of those decisions for a short term, but you're going to end up regretting it. You're going to end up feeling the pressure of the decisions that you have made. It, it pushes you right. It causes stress and anxiety. It, it, even past that, it actually puts you in a state of constant disappointments. Think about this. If, you're, if, if this is your line right here of what you can afford, and you're constantly living right there, you know what you can also see when you're right here? You can see what you can't afford. You can see the thing that's just beyond your reach. You can see the house that maybe one day. You can see the car that maybe one day. You can see the clothes, the shoes that maybe one day. And what that does is it makes you live in constant disappointment, always looking at what you don't have, never grateful for what you do have. You live full of stress, full of anxiety, constantly disappointed, constantly ungrateful. You've got this amazing life and you hate it. What a miserable life us Americans mostly live. But even if, even if you're in that sweet spot, and some of us in this room are in that spot, where you're making a ton, and you're loving life, and the question of what can you afford, you can't figure out what you can't afford. Even if you're there, and you keep living your life by this question, what can I afford, you will end up in such a horrible place because you will end up in a place of waste. Oh, you will. God has blessed you. Oh, my gosh. God has blessed you. He has blessed you so much. You are in the top half percent of the world. You're, one of the wealth, you're in the wealthiest eras of human history. He's given you such a blessing, and you are wasting it when you could be using the blessing that God has given you to change lives. You could be laying up treasures for yourselves in heaven, not here on earth, but you you wasting it. You see what I'm saying? This question, man, all of us, we sit here and we've been taught by our country, by our culture, that this is the name of the game. And it just produces stress, anxiety, disappointment, and a wasted life. And I thank God as your loving heavenly father. This is why he's so forceful about this. This is why his word is so strict and harsh about this. Because he doesn't want you to waste this precious life you've been given. He wants more for you. He's a dad that wants more for you. And so, you know money's your master if this is the question, but the, the, the next question is where you're set free. This is where your homework comes in. I want you to take, this is your homework. I want you to take an hour this week, one hour, and I want you to get alone with God with a journal and a pen and a Bible. And if you've never done this before, if you've never spent time with God, try it. You ain't got nothing to lose. One hour. And I want you to write this next question down, and you're going to let God speak to your life. And it's the question that's going to set your finances free. It's the question that's going to set your soul free. It's the question that's going to, going to free you from the burdens that you're experiencing right now. And it's not what you think. I know some of y'all are thinking, here comes the Dave Ramsey stuff. Here comes the debt snowball. Here comes 80-10-10. Here comes get out. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff's super important. That's not what I'm going to have you process through. Come to the we also did, we did not point out how funny it was that Hannah said, we got a rodeo for high school students. And we got a financial health class for everybody else. <laughs> That's why adulting sucks, man. We, we don't get no rodeo. We get a financial health class. But you need it. We all, we all need those principles. I want to put a bigger question in front of you that I think can set your soul free. Okay? 
God, if God is your master, you'll ask this question. Not what kind of life can I afford. What kind of life does God want for me? This is the question that will set your soul free. This is the question that will set your finances free. This is the question that will help you sleep at night. This is the question that will give you clarity and purpose and marching orders. Not what kind of life can I afford, but what kind of life does God want for me? And then next you take the answer to that and you give your money marching orders. You say, this is the life God wants for me and now everything I got goes towards that. What kind of life does God want for you? And, and I can't answer that question for you. I can give you some thoughts. That's between you and God. Like some of you are going to get alone with God. And you're going to say, what kind of life does God want? God, God what do you want from me? And God's going to say, he's going to whisper this word to your soul. Some of y'all are going to hear this. He's going to whisper this word to your soul. I want your life to be marked by faithfulness. I want you to be faithful I just want you to be consistent. I want you to keep showing up. I want you to keep loving. I want you to keep doing. I want you to be faithful. And you know what that does in your life now? It provides clarity. It provides clarity. When you lift your head up and you look around and you see there's a job opportunity, right? There's a job opportunity that you, you could pursue and it's got, it's got more money. You know that's not what the life God wants for you. God said faithfulness. God said faithfulness. So now you got, you got marching orders. You know what to do. Some of you guys are on the other side where you're going to get alone with God, and he's going to say, I'm calling you to something new. I'm calling you to step into a new career, to risk something. I'm, I'm calling you to make a change. I'm calling you to step into something that, that maybe you never planned on doing. And, and now all of a sudden you've got marching orders. You, you tell your money where to go. You might need to spend some money on self-development to get you ready for that opportunity. You might need to sell everything you got so you can downgrade and step into this new calling. But whatever it is, you now have clarity. You have clarity. See, some of you are actually called to build massively successful businesses. When you get alone with God, God's going to go, I've got you right where I want you. I want you to build and build, and it's going to bless people. It's going to bless families. It's going to provide careers for people. You're in the right spot. And guess what? You will be compensated accordingly. This is where we get out of the conversation, is it bad to be rich? It ain't bad to be rich if that's what God has called you to, if that's the kind of life God wants for you. But what I know about our God is that if he has called you to a life that ends with you being rich, he will also whisper to your soul in that quiet moment, and you say, I also want your life to be marked by generosity. I want you to, yeah, 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 you're going to build, you're going to build, you're going to bless, and I want you to give and give and serve of yourself, give of your time, give of your resources. Some of y'all, he's going to say, I want you to be, I want your life to be marked by hospitality. And he wants you to open your home up. you got a beautiful home. There ain't nothing wrong with having a big old beautiful home unless you keep that big old beautiful home to yourself when God has said, I'm calling you to be hospitable. It's about stepping into the life that God wants for you. It's not that none of this stuff is evil in and of itself. It's does it line up with the life that God wants for you, right? Some of you are going to say, you're going to get, get along with God, and he's going to say, I want you to build the church. I want you to make tithing sexy again. I want you to bring it back. I want you to give. I want you to give. I want you to give. I want you to build the church. Now, you give your money marching orders, you give your time marching orders. You give your resources marching orders. And now all of a sudden, God is not serving your money. Your money is serving your God. When you live with this idea of what, of, of what you can afford, it always puts God in a position of servanthood to your finances. 
You're always asking God to, to come through for you to make up for your bad financial decisions. <laughs> Reverse it. Figure out what kind of life God wants for you and direct every resource you have towards that purpose. My wife and I, when we started talking this way, when we started figuring out early on in marriage, what kind of life does God want for us? When we started asking that question, we heard over and over and over we, that God wants our lives to be marked by a, a life that was willing to do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God. Whatever it takes. And so sometimes it meant selling all we have to move to a, a, a place and be a to answer a calling on our lives, to be a part of leading a church. Yeah, and, and we did it. And, and honestly, there were times, like, I remember when we moved to downtown Indianapolis, and this is the first time we weren't youth pastors, because God wants to go reach these people and plant our flag in the middle of the city and just reach people. And man, we couldn't afford that. We sold everything we had. I'm telling you, we moved in, and I looked at our bank account the week we moved in, and it was like $225. Like, we... We eating rice and beans, baby. But we didn't even care because it was aligned with the purposes of God in our life. It, when, when, God called, when, when you know from God the kind of life he wants for you, you give your money marching orders. You give your time marching orders. You make every resource that God has given you subservient to the God who created you and has called you. And I'm telling you right now, what Brittany and I learned, what multiple people in this room have learned over the course of their lives, is that God's calling never comes without God's provision. Whatever life God calls you to, he will provide for it. Some of y'all are going to get a dream from God in the midst of all this. You're going to hear from God, and you're going to see a picture of a life that he has for you down the road, and you won't be able to afford it yet. You won't be able to get there yet. It's going to be a dream, but now you've got marching orders. And, and, and it's not that it's going to happen overnight. No, 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 but along the way, God's calling always comes with God's provision. You've got to figure out what kind of life God wants for you and then direct everything you have towards that end. And do you feel the difference between these two? Do you feel the difference between when you are living under what you can afford? Oh my gosh, does it feel just so like, oh, it's like it's tight. Like makes my, makes my neck hurt. Like my shirt gets tight on me. It's like, oh. Because I think, man, it's just more bills, it's more pressure, it's just more stress, it just feels so enclosed. And then when you ask the question, God, what kind of life do you want for me? Everybody take a deep breath. It's like a wide open field. It's like God, your heavenly Father, is standing there with you in this wide open field. And you say, Father, what kind of life you want for me? He goes, oh, we got a lot planned. We got a lot of land out here. A lot of places we can go. A lot of things we're going to explore and experience together. I got a good life for you. Let's go. Let's start, let's start building together. It's, it, what you're feeling and what you're going to feel when you get alone with God this week and you say, what kind of life do you want for me? You're going to feel freedom. It's freedom. It's the thing your heavenly father wants for you. Money, greed, it shackles you. It confines you. It stricts you. God just wants freedom for you. That's why Paul would write in Galatians 5 that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom. When Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross, it wasn't just to forgive you of your sins. Heck yeah, that was part of it. It wasn't just to secure your eternity. Heck yeah, that was part of it. It was also so you'd experience freedom right now. So you could step into an abundant life right now. He says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, no longer submit yourselves to a yoke of slavery. Don't you sign up for the enslaved and trapped 
shackled life that the American dream has put on you. Resist it. Resist it. Say, define the relationship. You can only serve one, and you got to choose. It's going to be God or it's going to be money. And I want to give you the chance to declare that to God, to declare to him either that you're going to start following him for the first time, or I, I want to give you the chance to declare to God that you'll give him an hour this week. And I'm going to be praying all week long for that hour, for whatever God speaks to your life. And I'm just believing there are going to be dreams and, and visions and hopes and plans that come out of that. When you open your mind to God and you pay attention to what goes on in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit, and you just start writing it down, I'm telling you what God can do if you'll give him an hour, he can change your whole life. But some of y'all, some of y'all just need to start by saying yes to Jesus. Some of y'all just need to start by saying yes to him for the very first time. And either way, I want to give you a chance to do that today. So would you stand with me to your feet as we do here at Peak City? We will not let the word of God go and fall on deaf ears without making life-changing decisions. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, if you're here and you've been chasing the things of this world for too long and you know it, you have wasted years and you know it's time to start following Jesus. You don't have to have your life figured out. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. None of that. You just got to be ready to say yes to his love and yes to beginning the journey. And I'm telling you, the life he has in store for you, if you will follow him, if you will get off the fence and say, Jesus, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm following you. You have no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can fully comprehend the life that God has in store for those who love him. And so if that's you and you want to become a Christian today, to give your life to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a private decision between you and God. One, two, three. It's incredible. Amazing, man. I see that. It's beautiful. Come on, you can put your hand down if you just raised it. We saw you. That is amazing. I'm telling you right now, this decision you have made, everything can change beginning on this day. This decision changes the trajectory of your life. Jesus sees you. All of heaven is throwing a party right now in Peak City. Keep your, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. But can we celebrate the fact that several people just gave their lives to Jesus? It's amazing. It's amazing for the rest of us. If you're willing to give God that hour this week, if you're willing to just open your heart, open your finances, open your mind to him and just say, Jesus, what kind of life do you want for me? And figure out what he says and chase it, pursue it. If you're willing to give God that hour this week, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a commitment to God, our heavenly father. One, two, three. Hands up all over the room. That's what we're doing, Peak City. Keep your hands up and let's pray and ask God to guide us. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We are desperate for you and we are committed to you. God, every hand that's raised right now is saying we surrender to you. The plans that we made for our life, we're throwing them out. Whatever life you want for us, Jesus, our answer is yes. So God, will you speak to us this week? I pray over every marriage in this room, over every single person in this room, over everyone who's trying to figure this out. God, would you speak to us? 
as we devote our time to you and our lives to you. And God, may we come back next week full of dreams, full of hope, full of love with our lives changed, ready to say, you are our master, Jesus. You are our master. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus by saying, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.